You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast dedicated to help new planners further the most important profession in the 21st century, financial planning. We believe that financial planning done well changes lives, inspires careers, and will change the world. Our mission is to transform the financial services industry into a true financial planning profession. Want to know more? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of planners like you. I'm Hannah Moore, certified financial planner, owner of Guiding Wealth Management, and financial planning evangelist. Today, I'm excited to have Amy Irvine on the podcast, where she shares her career path and her passion for true financial planning. We discuss how to have meaningful conversations with your clients about their lives and how to use that information to help them plan their financial lives. So let's jump right in. Well, thanks for joining us today, Amy. Thank you for having me. So you are the owner of Irving Wealth Planning Strategies, and we'll talk to that a little bit more. But I'd love to know, how did you get started in the financial planning world? Well, it actually dates back to my college days. Um, I was around 19, and I was very actively involved in the student senate for my alma mater, which is Alfred State College. And the receptionist slash secretary that worked for the student senate, her husband worked for a company called IDS, which is now American Express. And I was an accounting major, but I was also looking to side hustle to help pay for college a little bit, or I should say expenses. And she suggested that I do some part-time work for him. So I started doing cold calls um, for him to schedule appointments. So he would go to like um, events and he'd had this little card that people could fill out where they would say, I want some more information about, it might be retirement planning or something along those lines. And then my job was to actually call these people and try to get appointments for uh, the planner at that point in time. So <laughs> I did it for about six months and I'm like, this job stinks. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be fun. It was working with numbers and, you know, I thought I was going to actually get to do something that was uh, a little bit more than just calling people to schedule appointments. So that was my first introduction to the financial planning world, but there was a little bit of a, a light that I saw um, whenever Darren was the name that I worked for. Um, whenever he would share with me just a piece of the puzzle, and I thought, well, that's really interesting, and it sort of stuck in the back of my head. And after I graduated from from college, I worked for a, a transit company for a very, very, very short period of time because I quickly learned that that was not the environment that I wanted to be in. And I saw out a job in, um, ended up being a trust company, but I actually interviewed with several, uh, would have been insurance companies back then. This was around 1994 um, that I started pursuing this specifically. And one of the things that uh, I, te I tested for uh, New York Life, actually, and, and the gentleman that I interviewed with said to me, your, your scores are great. You know, you would make a, a great advisor, but as a woman, I really don't think this is the best career for you. So that sort of sealed it for me. I'm like, somebody told me I couldn't do something. That's it. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so my mother um, has always said that, you know, just if you want Amy to do something, tell her she can't. So I actually went to work for a very small trust company. So I kept looking, kept looking, and there was an opening in a very, very small trust company in their trust department. So I was dealing mostly with estate planning, um, fulfilling trust documents, beneficiaries, all of that sort of stuff that 
kind of goes along investment management that goes along with the with the trust side so that's really the organization that I would say launched my career because they exposed me to so much um, in a very short period of time that it was it was just I felt the passion for it and said this is my career this is what I want to do I didn't know exactly how I wanted to do it but I knew that being in that environment was was really fun. What I didn't particularly like about being in a trust, that particular trust department was that it, it was working with people that had already um, grown their wealth. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of true planning on the, on the sense of, you know, how do you get there? It was how to, how do you protect, which is important as well. But, you know, I was 23, 24 years old at the time. I, I saw a lot more opportunity within the industry. So that was my first, what I would call true job in the industry. And it's a great place for people to start out on. So I love this idea of like, you were working at this trust company. And so were you thinking of like, how do I help my peers as somebody in your twenties or kind of what were you viewing as a landscape of opportunities? Well, as soon as some of my friends heard what I was doing, they started to ask me questions and I, I really didn't know the answers. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't like I was learning about their problems. I wasn't, how do you mortgage a loan or how do you mortgage a house or how do you, um, how do you pay down student debt or how do you save for retirement? And I'd look at them and say, oh, I don't do that. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I'm, I'm actually investing millions or working on, you know, investing millions of dollars. I don't know how you actually grow it. So intuitively I was being asked these questions and wondering, well, how do how do I do it for myself? And, and one day I actually was home. I don't know if it was like a labor day or president's day or one of those bank holidays that we had. And I was watching the today show and Jean Chatsky, was on the Today Show that day. And here was this vibrant young woman who was talking about saving and budgeting and um, investing. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. I want to talk about these things. So I started uh, at the time, again, 1994, 1995, the internet wasn't anywhere near what it is today. So I, got, I started going to the library and getting books on um, how to budget and how to save and basic things that we talk about, but we were never taught. And then I started sharing it with my friends. So they, every time, you know, we were together, I'm like, okay, budget tip 101. Like, how can we go out <laughs> tonight and only spend like 25 bucks? How do we do this? <laughs> so, so it became this huge passion, and I'm sure my friends would roll their eyes like, yeah, you thought it was a passion. You drove us nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but it did launch, uh, you know, even more so wanting to work with that younger generation. And, and when I left the trust company, my next step was actually to go work for a union benefit office. Um, so I actually did a lot of the healthcare and pension uh, administration for that particular firm uh, in, in this union environment. So I was actually working with a bunch of um, members of a carpenter's union. So the age range was huge. It was from apprentices all the way up to people that were looking at retirement. 
And working with them was exciting because when somebody new joined and you got to tell them about all of these benefits that they were going to have and how that all worked, you know, they would start to ask questions about, well, that's great, but what do I do for like life insurance? Or should I have a will? Which of course the answer is always yes. But you know, that's, that's the sort of, um, the sort of questions that people started to ask me. And it, it just, again, it, it was building this, well, there's more out there, right? There's more than just retirement. And now I've gotten into healthcare and everybody's asking me about saving for their kids college now. So I started to seek out a company that would, I knew that I knew enough that I didn't know a lot and I needed to get some education and experience under people that did. So I started to look for uh, other opportunities within that industry. And I actually went to, to the trust environment again, working for a, a trust company that had a much larger trust de- department. It had a separate investment, a separate tax, separate estate, and then also a separate retirement administration. And under that retirement administration, we worked with IRAs and 401k plans. And this was around 1996. This was before a lot of 401k plans were daily administration and you could go in and check your balances frequently. We were sending out quarterly statements and sometimes only annual statements still. But I would go out and and help people enroll in these 401k plans. And there again, people would say, you know, so what else should I be doing? So I went back to the trust company and I said, you know, there's this CFP thing. (laughs) I really think, I really think that would be beneficial for me to pursue this because it does all of these other areas that I just don't feel knowledgeable about. And I really didn't feel knowledgeable about like the insurance piece or even the taxes piece at that point in time. So when they, they, they kind of said, you know, not right now, but you know, maybe in the future. And I was 29 at the time. And I, I was driving about two hours a day, one hour to work, one hour home. And I really saw the potential of this program, the CFP program, who my alma mater was just launching at that point in time too. That's how I knew about it. They were just starting this program. And I thought, you know, I think I really, really want to pursue this. So I actually, my husband and I sort of talked about it and we sat down and said, we can do this. We can tighten up our budget. We can live off from one income for about two years for me to go through this program. And so I did, I left that company and went back to college at, at that time, 30 years old and pursued a bachelor's degree in, in the CFP program. And then ultimately a master's degree. And it was the best thing I ever did because that was, you know, I got a full breadth of the field. I had the opportunity to interact with other, um, individuals that were coming up through this program. I got to interview as a course of, you know, exploring (laughs) internships, which I had to do, which was funny to me because like, I have 10 years of experience. I still have to do an internship, (laughs) but it was really 10 years of different kind of experience. So I'm glad I did it, but that's, that's really kind of the, the start of it all. Well, what I love about your story is that you kept seeing these threads of financial planning wherever you went. It was like, 
the client kept saying, there's more, like there's more, there's more. And it was really you listening to your clients and saying like, why aren't we providing more? And once I graduated, um, I really wanted to, oh, by the way, my internship, ironically, was with um, Amerprise, (laughs) 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 which was great because I got to see what I didn't want. Um, You know, I just, that was such an annuity, and um, there's nothing wrong with annuities or with broker dealers or anything like that, but that was particularly, you know, I'm like, no, I'm I'm really more interested in, in looking at the planning side using the products to answer the questions, but really, really focusing on the planning side. So I needed to get into a company that would let me do that, would actually let me start with the financial plan and not not start with the investments. Can you talk a little bit more about what that internship was like and specifically what about it made you say, like, this isn't where I want to be? Because every meeting, when I sat through them, every meeting was a sales meeting. Every meeting was about what are the products that we are, I hate to use the word pitching, but that's sort of what it was. Um, You know, it wasn't sitting down with the client and saying, here's, um, here's our process. We're going to, we're going to sit down. We're going to learn about you. We're going to learn what your needs are. And then we're going to come up with some solutions and recommendations. What I saw was um, when somebody would come and say, I'm thinking about retirement. Well, here's some products that can help you get there. How do you know that? If you haven't actually sat down and said, well, what what are your expenses? And what does your budget look like? And what do you want to do in retirement? And what do you want to do prior to retirement? And what are the competing goals that you have? How do you recommend anything if you don't know the answers to those questions? And I just didn't see those questions being asked. So to me, that was sort of a red flag. Yeah. And I, you know, I can say now that I'm on the financial planning side of it, if you would, it's, I, I can't invest money unless I have a financial plan. Like it's, it's just this, it's this complete mindset shift that once you see it, you're like, you can't go back. Yeah. When people run into me at a a party and find out what I do, they'll say, Oh, where should I invest my money? And I just, I'm like, I have no idea. I have no tips for you because I have no idea what your situation is whatsoever. So, um, I, and even sometimes when people will say, Oh, I just got 20,000. What should I do with it? I don't know. I, without sitting down and getting the details, I don't know where to go with that. So, yeah, that's what I saw in that internship. And and even, you know, even at some of the companies, the next company that I went to, when I first went there and was hired, they were, um, I was also studying for the CFP exam at that point in time. I had met all the education requirements and I was studying during that process. And the next company that I went to, I just, when I joined them, I just sat for the CFP exam. And I was waiting to get the results because when I sat for it, we didn't know for like six to eight weeks. So I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think I had been there, I don't know, maybe a week, week and a half when I found out that I passed. And they actually hired me under the preface of, we want a financial planner on staff. We want a CFP. There were no other CFPs at that point in time. So I was so excited. I mean, elated doesn't even begin to 
explain how somebody feels when they find how they passed that exam. Yes. It really, <laughs> really takes away all those months of loneliness that you experienced prior to, you know, sitting for the exam. And, and so that was supposed to be my focus. Unfortunately, some things changed within the company and, and one of the supervisors left and I happened to be the only one with, um, I'd sat for the seven when I was doing my internship in the 63 and I don't know why, but for the 24. And so I happened to be the only one that had that particular license. And so I was sort of immediately by default thrust into a role that I didn't really want, but I learned a ton from doing and so for people listening, the 24 is the compliance license. It's one of them, yeah. One yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, as a when you take on that role, compliance is so important. And for anybody who wants to start their own firm, I mean, that was, it, you know, it's under FINRA, so it's a little bit different, but it's still, it was a great learning experience to understand the basis of everything that you can and cannot do. Um, it was a great learning experience. It led to my next role as a chief compliance officer for the RAA that I the, um, that I went to work for after I left that firm. And really, the reason I left was more because, um, as the branch manager for that firm, I also had almost two hundred and I think fifteen clients. So I was responsible for 11 staff members, had that many clients, really wasn't doing what I loved, which was the financial planning. It was just putting out fires. And I, I just kept saying to myself, this isn't your why. This isn't why you got into this. This isn't why you're getting, you know, you, you got your degree and you went back to college. This isn't my why. So I started looking for other opportunities that would allow me to reach that. And that's when I went to work for my first um, RIA firm, which, like I said, I was the chief compliance officer for as well as the, um, the title was director of financial planning. But it really, I was fortunate to be able to bring 35 clients with me and, or approximately, I think it was 30 and eventually 35 and do really nice work with them. It was extraordinary. And so you, you brought those clients with you from your last place to the new RAA. And you started doing financial planning with them once you got to the RA? Correct. And in, in more detail, yeah. At that point in time, I was actually able to spend the time, you know, focusing at a greater level and engaging. And so as director of financial planning, were you just working with your clients or was there a bigger responsibility for like the firm's clients? Yeah, there was a much bigger responsibility for the firm's client. That's, that's the preface that I was hired under was that, um, so the gentleman that had built the RIA was very focused on investment management. I mean, he was extremely successful, very focused on investment management, but was thinking along the lines of um, wanting to do more for you know, his existing clients. So that was where the, the idea of, well, let's bring Amy on board and um, do more for those existing clients and, and even their family and their friends and not friends, but family members, especially younger family members. That was sort of one of the ideas as well was to take some of the retirees and um, maybe start working with their kids or their grandchildren. So were you the only like true financial planner on staff there? 
I was. Uh, so uh, there were four employees in total. Um, the owner of the company was a CFP, and then there were two other one was an, in an admin role, and the other individual was um, he had a, a long background in financial planning, but he was not a CFP. And he was not doing the financial planning piece. So really, that was my responsibility. You got your financial planning background through you know these college programs, your master's degree, the CFP, but you've really been the only financial planner trying to create build in financial planning into these firms. I mean, was that frustrating or, I mean, <laughs> kind of what were your it thoughts? It was on actually. And, and I think, you know, that's why I ultimately ended up going out on my own, to be honest, Hannah, because that was the piece. And I can look back on it now. There was always something that just was like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> like, <laughs> why don't you get it? I don't understand. It's so plain to me. And, and, you know, it just always seemed like this uphill battle of why, why isn't it that we start every client in this method? Like, why would we ever invest their money if we don't have the financial plan in place? And, and I, and not just that, but also like when I decided to leave, um, that last firm, one of the reasons was because it's when people have built their wealth, yes, there's financial planning involved. But again, I'll go back to that same preface that I said prior. There's a lot of people that haven't built their wealth. And one of the things that I kept saying that we needed to do is start to reach out to those 30 and 40 something year olds and do financial plans for them. Let's, let's, let's take the business and tweak it a little bit. Let me really do financial planning. Let me, let me get into this problem solving and this, this proactive way of, of dealing with people's finances instead of the reactive way. Right. So, you know, if I can help somebody and, and I'll give you an example. Um, when I was at that firm, you know, I had somebody come to me and say, I've got all the student loan debt and, you know, mom and dad are going to help me. Um, but I really wish that I hadn't done it at all. Well, what if we had sat down with mom and dad and student and said, okay, here's some ways that we can fund college. That's really proactive. So, so graduate doesn't walk out feeling this, you know, heavy weight on their shoulder, even though mom and dad have said they're going to help. It's still a heavy weight. That's proactive planning. That's what I kept thinking. That's what we need to be doing. And we need to be talking to people that are my age, you know, in their 40s and in mid 40s and who have kids that are looking at going to college in a year or two or three. That's that's planning. And we should be talking to them about um, how they're saving for retirement. You know, I see some of these retirement retirees that have all of their money in after tax um, buckets. And so now they're at a point where they're having to take their RMD and it's making their Medicare higher, the premiums higher. It's, it's making their social security more taxable. It's actually creating and putting them into a higher tax bracket than they would have had they split up their savings and retirement. So that's how we can proactively help people. And, you know, everybody was saying to me, but how do you make money on them? Like, well, they're willing to pay a fee. <laughs> they're willing to pay, whether it's hourly or some sort of retainer model. They just, there's just not that much out there for them. 
You just needed you know? somebody to tell you that you couldn't do it. Yeah, that's what happened. Actually, was when I when I um, you know pitched this idea to the prior firm. He said, "No, I, I really don't see where that will be successful." All right, <laughs> let me show you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but you know, it's when I started to say, "I th- I think it really is." And you know what? What's the worst that's going to happen if it's not? I'll go to work for another company. But I really think that this is going to be successful. So my husband and I, you know, sat down again and we started thinking about things. We started exploring opportunities and thoughts and, you know, kind of took the next step. And it was brutal. I know you just um, recently did a couple podcasts with what you what you wish you had known before you left a firm. And I wish I had listened to that podcast before I left that firm (laughs) because it was a brutal parting. It was really brutal. And it's tough when you're in the same, you know, city. It's, it's really, there are lots of things that I wish I had done differently. Yeah. It's as amazing as financial planning is. There's some really, really dark sides to the Mm -hmm. industry and yeah, when money's involved, people do crazy things. Well, one of the things that I've always said is when I get to the point where I'm bringing, um, bringing advisors on and, and able to do that, you know, with sustainability is I won't have that non-solicit, non-compete, because if somebody wants to work with that person, then that's who they should work with. Who am I to say, you know, you can't work with XYZ person. That's the thing that just kills me about this industry. Like this is such a personal industry, such a personal relationship industry that if person X wants to work with person Y, who am I to say they can't? I mean, that I think that that's just why I don't know any other very few industries that say that if you like a particular doctor, you follow that doctor. Well, if you like a particular financial planner, you follow that financial planner. <laughs> I, I just will never have that in my firm when I, when I get to that level. So you weren't able to take any of those clients with you that you had done the financial planning work with? Um, I wasn't able to take any that belonged to the firm. Those people that I ultimately brought with me um, from the, the firm prior to that, I was smart enough to have language in there to say if I brought them from my, you know, some, from firm X that I could take them. So I was actually able to start the business with a group of very loyal um, clients that I will forever be grateful for because they gave me enough income to at least, along with my savings, get me through that first year. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't enough to sustain forever, but it was enough to help us along with some savings that we had get through that first year, which is I will say the toughest year emotionally. Uh, physically. (laughs) And it just, you know, it takes a a ton of energy in that first year. And even part of the second year, I would say, um, you know, to really keep saying to yourself, I did this for a good reason. It's all going to work out. Just keep doing the right thing and everything will work out, you know, and they, not only stood by my side through the transition, they were the best source of referral because they said, Oh, finally a firm that, you know, is there isn't, there isn't this barrier to have somebody work with you. 
Um, I'm going to refer my friends. So they did. And that's that. I don't think there can be any better compliment than that. And I'm very, you know, they're, they're extremely solid in my heart. Yeah. I definitely can relate to that. I remember when I made my move, I mean, the clients that came with me, like, I feel like I owe them. I mean, there's such a debt of gratitude. Oh, that yeah. I have for them. It's, you know, and they feel loyal to me. And I'm just like, anything you guys need, like, I got you, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's, I don't care if it's a Saturday or a Sunday. You yeah. know what? You, you had my back. I'm going to have yours. And not that I don't feel that same sense of loyalty towards the new clients. I, I do, but it's, it's just slightly different because yeah. it's, it's, they were my, they were my support beam. I mean, without them, I, I would have bruises that never would have healed, I think. Yeah. I remember when I was making the transition and it was not easy or pretty or, I mean, it was pretty ugly if we're going to be honest. And I, they are one of my largest clients and they called because I was just like, I don't know how to present this to them. And he was just like, oh, well, we, we always follow the advisor, not the firm. That's great. And I just, I will never forget that short conversation that I had with them. It was just a given that they would follow me. And I was just like, wow, that's what this business is about. It's about the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And that's why I said earlier, you know, I would never make somebody sign a, a non-solicit, non-compete because who am I to stand in their way if that's who they want to work with? Yeah. And hopefully they'd never leave. <laughs> but right. <you> know. <laughs> if we create good work environments, people will mm-hmm. want to stay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so let's talk about your current firm, Irving Wealth Planning Strategies. And so you're kind of doing this a different, doing it your way um, mm-hmm. and kind of what you see. So what does it look like for a client to work with you? Well, um, as you mentioned, I decided when I started my firm that I would do it very differently. And one of the things that we start with is the financial plan. Um, when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm looking to um, either start working with an advisor, particularly maybe even change an advisor. The first conversation that we have is, well, tell me about you. Tell me about who Hannah is. Like, what is your passion? What, um, what gets you going? What gets you excited about life? If, um, if money weren't a barrier, what you know, what would you be doing differently? So tell me about you because those conversations are going to drive every other recommendation that I have for you. Then let's dig into the the numbers. Let's look at, you know, what does your employer offer for benefits? What, what does she, what do you want to do with your career? What, um, what have you already saved and why? And what, what do you think that you would like to do for the next 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, it's, you know, that's a challenge. Cause if somebody asked me that question, I'm like, well, I'm kind of doing it, but, but I have dreams at the same time, you know, do I want to travel a little? Yeah. Do I want to spend time with my family? Yes. You know, all of those things are really important to me, but is there something that's, really stands out to you that you want to make sure that you do. 
So we start with that financial planning process. And then as we go along this sort of, you know, document, if you want to call it that starts to form. And as we get into those different sections of financial planning, then we can say, you know, maybe it's better to wait on making a recommendation until we actually take a deep dive into the tax side of things, because I don't want to make the wrong recommendation on, let's say it's a, um, saving for your kid's education. I don't want to tell you, you should do a 529 plan if that affects in some way, shape or form your taxes down the road, because maybe, you know, maybe there isn't a defined college plan in place, or maybe it has to do with stock options or whatever it might be. Um, you know, sometimes it's better to hold off on making those recommendations until we really have everything sort of put together. And it's about a year long process to go through that. Yeah. So I want to hit on something um, that you said at the beginning about how, you know, you take them through this discovery process and ask them, you know, what is it that you want to be doing and, you know, future and everything like that. And I think, you would agree with this. There's some clients that I have when I go through that process where they're just like, like they can't even process mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. And really, I think what we're doing is we're trying to get them to start thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And that maybe they're not going to have that answer today or in six months, but in a couple of years, they might be coming back to us and saying, Hey, here's something that I never thought of before. Mm -hmm. Could this be possible? Yeah. And if they can't come up with something, then I'll often ask them what makes you happiest right now. Mm. If there's a point in your life that, or a particular part of your life that makes you happy or happiest, what is it? Because that's probably what they want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's involvement in their church or spending time coaching their kids or, um, you know, doing other volunteer work, um, it's feeding the soul in some way, shape or form. Well, that's probably what you ultimately want to be doing. So how do we get you there? So it kind of helps them. Yeah. One objection that I've heard from people is I'm not sure my clients would be comfortable having these conversations with me. What would be mm -hmm. your response to that? I think at first they're, when we start having these conversations, they sort of look at me like, what does this have to do with financial planning? <laughs> and, and when I say to them, um, if you can just trust me, I'll get you there. I mean, what, what in your life doesn't have to do with your financial life, no matter what it is. Um, I've always said that there's basically three things that are nearest and dearest to everybody's heart. It's their God, their family, and their money. And so when, when people um, say that, when other financial advisors say, I'm not sure I'm having, I'm not sure I'm comfortable having these conversations, you really need to change your mindset because if you want to be a good financial planner, you really need to know those things. Because if you're helping them build what is most meaningful to them, then what else, what else could there be? Like, I can't fathom not knowing that about a client. I can't fathom not knowing what feeds their soul. And if that means that they, if they're uncomfortable having their, those conversations with me, then I'm not the right planner for them. 
because I don't know how to plan if I don't know the bottom line of who you are as a person. So I want to take a second and just contrast this with some of the firms that you were at before. So the firms that said that they wanted to do financial planning and that they were bringing you in as like the CFP to bring financial planning to their firm, is it possible to do that? Um, boy, that's a really hard question because I think it's possible if, I think it's possible like if the firm really truly believes that and understands it. I think the problem that I've had in the past is they, it's almost a cliche. Like, of course we want to bring in financial planners, you know, of course we want to do this financial planning, but they don't actually understand what it is. So if the firm truly understands it and truly wants to bring that person in to change the culture of the firm, but boy, I would do my homework on that if, if somebody is saying that. I mean, that's one thing that I would say. I, I didn't know what questions to ask. So if somebody is looking at a firm that's saying that, call me and I will give you some <laughs> questions to ask. Um, I think there are certain firms out there that probably already have that core being. And so joining those firms is going to be a lot easier than joining a firm that says we don't currently offer that, but we want to bring it in. I just found that they were truly looking um, to check a box is my experience. And I'm hoping that the industry changes and I hope to help change the industry, um, you know, so that they're, they're not just checking a box. Yeah, well, if, you know, these firms, for them to truly do financial planning, they have to give up a lot of control. Mm -hmm. I mean, to do financial planning really well, I mean, that means developing deep relationships with somebody else that could leave and take client. You know, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's a tough one. I, it'd have to be the right business. Um, and I'd want to really have somebody explore it pretty deeply. So back to your firm and kind of the process. So after, you know, these deep discovery conversations, I mean, how many meetings are you having with clients? Mm -hmm. In the first year, it's often probably six to eight meetings. Um, so that first year is a little meeting heavy. And then if they choose to stay on board with the firm, then it goes to about four times a year. There's a lot to discuss in that first year. There's a lot of yeah. decisions. And if you allow too much time, then they're like, what did we talk about again? And what's my homework? If you keep them, you know, if you give enough time to work on things, but not too much time to put it off too far. So it, it, it depends on people's schedule, but usually somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, you know, every two months, I try to have them on the calendar to get back on board and, and, you know, see where you're at. And there's a lot of in-between communications, you know, emails, uh, phone calls of, Hey, do you need help with this? How are you making out? Um, you know, where are you struggling? But if, but if, in my experience, if I lay it all on you in that first meeting, like if I have a discovery meeting and then I say, oh, here's your financial plan and here's all your action steps, you might as well just throw that in the <laughs> garbage because they'll look at you like, okay, I just got blown over by that fire hose and <laughs> I don't know where to start. 
So it's usually the pain points that I start with as part of that first, you know, meeting. I'll say, you know, what, why now? What was the impetus that you started working with a financial planner and really start to, you know, focus on those particular things first, because those are the points that people are most motivated to work on. And then everything else kind of, you know, follows. So it's a lot of meetings that first year. What does your ideal client look like right now? That's a great question. And, you know, it took me a long time to figure this one out. When I first went independent, I knew that I wanted to work with people around my age. That was sort of the general theme of it. Let me work with people in their late 30s, mid 40s to late 40s, sort of around my age. Um, and I didn't know any, it, because we'd always worked in an industry where you took everybody, right? It didn't matter what the person was, you just took them. So it took me a, probably a good year and a half to figure out, you know, I really, really enjoy working with women, really enjoy it. And not that I don't work with couples or men, but if you said to me, you know, what would you like every new client to look like? It would be a woman in her mid forties, early to mid forties, who wants to be educated, who wants some guidance, who wants to ask a lot of questions, who enjoys, um, you know, the, the relationship and isn't afraid to, to say, I don't know to something and really wants to take those lessons that I am teaching them and take it down to their kids. So if I could hand pick, you know, that particular person, that's what, and, and again, it can be a couple, but I, you know, I want that my ideal client is somebody who comes in even as a couple where the, the woman in the conversation really wants to be engaged. I think there's so much to teach. Well, and I just loved what you said about teaching it to their children. I don't know that I've ever heard that when people talk about their ideal clients, but that's really neat and really a distinguisher. And we learn from our parents, right? We learn from our educators. And so part of, in my opinion, what I see and what I hear is that, boy, I wish somebody had taught me this in high school or college. I don't know how to teach my children because we're only as smart as we're taught, right? I mean, that's all we know. We we do what we know. And if we can if we can start taking that down to the next generation, then they're going to be walking out of uh, high school and college with this leg up because they know, hey, when I find my first job, I should be looking for a company that has a 401k plan or that might offer some help with student loan debt repayment or has a good health insurance plan. You know, these are things that they are not intuitive. <laughs> and, and what I find often is that what's happening is when I start to look at like the benefits that some of these couples and women have, they don't even know what they mean. What's the difference between an FSA and an HSA? What's the difference between a PPO and a high deductible plan? Oh, I can get life insurance through my company at basically bottom basement price, but should I? What about disability? I mean, these are all the things that, you know, when we walk through this stuff with our clients, they're like, I had no idea this existed. My company's not so bad. They really want to take care of me. 
<laughs> they just need to <laughs> they just need to educate and you know that's and then you take it to the next level take it down to your kids and look look if mom and dad ever become disabled this is some of the stuff that we have and you should be looking for that when you have a job offer <laughs> no i think i mean and if you look at some of the way that i'm actually reaching out to this particular target market is that i recently started having something called wine and dime so it's the second Monday of every month throughout the spring, summer, and early fall because I go to Florida in the winter months for December, January, February, and March. So I, I host it in the months that I'm up in upstate New York, um, Finger Lakes area. I host this wine and dime, and it is just for women. And it is an environment that we have some snacks, we have a couple bottles of, of wine available, and women come and they talk about anything under the sun that they want financially, and sometimes side, side steps to that. Like the last one I had, we actually started talking about, you know, like the breastfeeding accommodations that employers offer. <laughs> well, I don't see that happening in a room full of mixed environment, but it was a very comfortable environment where people were talking about, well, how do you plan for having your first child? And, and how do you stretch that leave of absence so that you don't have some of these things or what accommodations are employers offering and ideas that this young woman that could take back to her employer to help her during that transition. I mean, these are things that are really relative to women, um, you know, right now. So where some very definite changes can come into um, somebody's life, right? And I had women that were retired on one side of the room and women that were in their early 30s on the other side of the room. And, and it it didn't set it up that way. They just kind of walked in and that's where they sat. And it was so interesting because as I was talking to, talking about different events, the women that were retired, they were saying, oh, I wonder if my kids are thinking about that. And then the women that were in their thirties are saying, well, I wonder if my parents are thinking about that. So it was for me being sort of the moderator of the conversation, it was, it was so unique to see the two sides interacting and exactly what I was hoping for. Where as women, we at all ages, we can sit down and talk about those different topics. And, and we have multiple caregiving responsibilities often as women. I'm not saying that men don't, but you know, we tend to be the ones that get sandwiched often, statistically speaking, and even have struggles with our career that we can really be there and be supportive of each other. So that's you know, that's one of the ways that I'm sort of, you know, focusing on helping to promote education and, and, um, really working with that women demographic that I'm most interested in working with. And then to, to complement that, I just recently released, um, a wine and dime podcast to boot. Um, my first, um, release actually just went out last Monday. And as you know, learning experience on something like that, right? So, um, that, that's again, just something that is, I want to get education out there and I'm bringing guests on that, you know, we talk about all those different career choices that are available to women. So just educating them on that while we're sipping on a glass of wine. <laughs> so it's the perfect world. <laughs> and we talk finance to boot. So I'm in my glory when I record those. I was going to say, this is like the dream life, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
marrying two passions together. I get to talk finance. I get to drink a little wine. And where I live in upstate New York, it's like a wine country. It's like the the Sonoma of of New York. So I'm you know often often featuring those those local wines. And I've loved some of the recordings. Like I just released one, but I've recorded several of them. And I ask everybody, what do you think about this? And they're like, this is so unique. I'm like, that was what I was going for. <laughs> anyway, but that's oh, I how I'm that. reaching out to that particular, um, you know, group of people that I really want to work, but it took me a long time to figure it out. And, and now I'm, as you can tell, probably from my <laughs> elevated voice, I just feel like so blessed and so excited to get up every day and say, so what am I going to do for this group today? You know? Oh, so, you know, we've talked about kind of the demographic that you service. So how do they pay you? Like, how do you make money on this process? I have three tiers of services, basically, for most clients. Um, There are some financial, like only financial planning services as well as some hourly services. But I primarily make money with three layers that people want to hire me in. So the first layer that they can come on board with me is... Um, on a quarterly basis, they can pay me $650 to be sort of on call. So it ends up being, you know, um, $2,600 a year that they, that they pay me. And we, we have a very defined, uh, list of things that we go through every quarter. So there's a service schedule and, you know, of course, first part of the year is taxes and, um, talking about any goals that are for the year, what kind of vacations are they wanting to plan? But it's not limited to that kind of conversation. And then um, throughout the course of the year, we have our quarterly meetings. And again, any questions that pop up, somebody wants to buy a car, you know, having those conversations about that. Should they finance it? Should they put money down? Should they lease? So that's one model. And that includes... Um, investment advice on assets outside. So like if they have 401k plans, you know, I would wrap that in and I would um, provide them with recommendations on how they might want to allocate all of their assets. It could also include working with a third party um, portfolio manager. I'm not physically necessarily managing the assets, but I'm giving them advice on how to allocate based on the goals that we've set you know, in that first year of planning, which also takes into consideration risk and risk tolerance and need for return. So that's the first level. And then the second level is taking it up a notch where they say to me, you know, I really would like you to be doing the investment management and I want to be able to, um, have your particular models in play for the the overall, uh, as well as all the the financial planning that goes along with it. And because of the additional time that that takes, that fee actually ends up going up to $5,000 a year. So each quarter, it ends up being $1,250. And then the final level is, I want all of what you've already offered, but I want you to offer it to my kids or um, perhaps even grandkids in some cases. So in that situation, we charge $8,400 a year um, to give basically advice not only to them and all the financial planning that goes with them, but to take it down to the next generation, and that ends up being $2,100 a quarter. And, you know, I love 
when people hire me for that level, because now I've got mom and dad, I've got the kids. And in some cases I've got the grandkids and really knowing those family, family dynamics is extremely beneficial. I'm going in with a leg up because I can kind of understand what the education has been up to that point and what the knowledge has been and what the family mentality is. So you're not starting from scratch on some of that, even though there might be different um, goals, those same values usually come into play. Are you meeting with like the kids on a quarterly basis or is it more on like yeah. a special project type basis? Yeah. Well, that's, that ends up being more like once or twice a year, or if they do have something come up that um, like, for example, I just had a client whose wife would be actual daughter-in-law accepted a new job. So my client's daughter-in-law accepted a new job and she had all of these benefits that she was like, I don't know what any of this means. So they called me and said, would you help us through this enrollment process? And I was drooling when I saw her benefit package (laughs) because it was extraordinary. And as we talked through all of the different, um, basically no cost options that she just had to enroll in. And I explained to them the benefits of some of that. They were so grateful. I mean, they just, they were grateful for their parents because their parents elected to have this plan and they were grateful to have somebody who actually knew what some of this stuff meant. Yeah. Providing you're really meeting clients right where they're at instead of waiting for them to get to a certain point and then you'll help them. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said before, the proactive nature of financial planning, instead of trying to fix what somebody did, let's try to prevent it. (laughs) So on the investment management piece, do you have any like caps on, I mean, could somebody with $5 million pay $5,000 a year for you to manage their investments or how do you kind of approach that? Yeah, they actually could. So I, one of the goals that I had about the firm, and this goes back to the focus of it is that, you know, investments are a tool to help you get to whatever your goal is. They are not the plan. And so I really want, so I wanted to take it the next step and say, that's what I'm going to, you know, that's what I'm going to have the practice focus on is that if you have $5 million that, yeah, 5,000 is, the, t- the max that you're going to have. Now, if there's some complexities to that $5 million and I see that there's going to be, um, you know, some additional time that's going to be required above and beyond what I would normally spend on something, then I'll have a conversation with them and say, look, you know, this is, for example, if we were going to be trading options, um, like covered calls and some of those sort of things that's above and beyond what's in that package. So let's talk a little bit about how do we, um, how do we add on some additional uh, cost to cover my time for those more complex situations. But for the most part, because, because again, my target isn't, um, people that have wealth right now. My target is to help people that are building their wealth. I don't know that I'll ever run into that situation. So Amy, as we wrap up, what would be your advice uh, for planners who are just starting out into the financial planning world? Probably the number one piece of advice that I would give is get a mentor, get somebody who has been in this industry for a while, who can, you know, try to help you avoid some of the pitfalls of the industry. Um, Give you some coaching on, you know, pieces of education that you might want to pursue 
remember that you haven't ended your education. You've just started your education because this is a constantly changing world. And, you know, just, just get a little direction and there's a safety net in doing that. I didn't know that that was an option as easy as it is for me to say it now. I honestly didn't have anybody I could go to. And I think, you know, running things by people that have a few battle wounds that they're willing to, to show you, um, can be very, very helpful. Thank you for joining us this week. If you want to find more planners or aspiring planners who are passionate about financial planning like you, join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community. We hope to see you there. And as always, thank you for listening.